Is this mic turned on? Wax poetic. Hi, kids. I'm a dinosaur hunter BMX rider. All the little girls dream of one day biting into a corn dog and smiling at the camera. If I ran the web, you could email dead people. Wax poetic. And I don't give a moment's focus to who does or doesn't like the sound of my voice. In the terrarium is herpes. Herpes is a hermit crab. Just say no to family values. This is Wax Poetic on Co-op Radio, CFRO 100.5 FM. So what if I write a poem like a song? Good afternoon and welcome to Wax Poetic here on Co-op Radio. I'm one of your hosts this afternoon, R.C. Weslowski. And I'm your other co-host, Kevin Spence. And our guests today, we have uh, James Felton and Richard Terrian. Um, So we'd like to uh, have our guests, uh, either both of you or one of you, start the show off with a poem. So uh, I think Richard's going to do that. All right, so Richard, let's take it over. Okay, I'll, uh, I'll get the heavy stuff out of the way. Uh, heavy because uh, uh, one of the main themes in the book, Sleeping in Tall Grass, is uh, about my brother. And uh, uh, I can't remember the weekend exactly uh, is the title of the poem. And uh, it refers to uh, the weekend that uh, my brother, who at the age of 14, was attending a, uh, a junior seminary college uh, in northern Saskatchewan and uh, ran away because he'd been raped by one of the priests. And uh, he came home for the weekend and then was sent back on the Monday. And so that's the weekend that I can't remember exactly. Cross-carved in air or on body, the memory muscular cellular, the cardinal points, the forehead, the navel, the sinister shoulder, the righteous right, and long before the age of reason, the holy trinity seared into the boy's memory dazzled and dazed by the gesture. In sleep, the smell of defilement coming off my brother's whimpering body. This was long before I understood how bodies were things that could so easily be ravaged. Long before I learned that the contagion of terror could seep from the soul of one innocent into the soul of another. In sleep, the mute clatter of prayer escaping the body pinned to the floor in the chamber of heavenly authority. In sleep, the sibilance of whispering informants sliding across the frozen prairie between the northern Saskatchewan Junior Seminary and home. Every wind-driven sliver of snow turning every eye blind, every eye blind turning away from every sun's accusing eye. How easily the horror of detail conceal the lips and turn the heart in a heartbeat hard with self-preservation. What a heart-shattering poem. Kind of heavy, I know. But beautiful. I mean, that's Thanks. the that's the that's for that's the place of poetry to bring yeah. all these different um, mm-hmm. experiences and thoughts kind of to bear. I, I'm curious um, how when did that poem begin in the process of its writing? Well, you know, my process is uh, chaotic to say the least. I take a lot of notes. I uh, obsessively keep a journal. I have scraps of paper everywhere. So it's always hard to 
pinpoint when one began, but I would say probably in the early 80s. Yeah. yeah. And is that something you'd been thinking about, that subject matter and that with your relationship with your brother in that context for a while, or when did that information get revealed to you or your family that this had happened well, to him? Well, he was a, uh, a pretty damaged individual, an alcoholic, uh, bad luck guy. Everything he did fell apart. And so, you know, this event uh, was kind of in the background and kind of whispered about, and shame played a big part, but it didn't really come out till he was in his 30s, uh, 35, 40, and he died uh, before the book was finished. The book is dedicated to him. So, mm. yeah, yeah, it kind of all came together when he was in the hospital, mm. and I was uh, by his side, and uh, we talked about it. Yeah. And have you read a lot from this book, and how do you find different audiences um, receiving that poem? Yeah, people are, people are moved. People are touched, for sure. Yeah. And yeah. does it open up discussions? It does. That, Very often it does. Yeah. Yeah. Where, again, in Saskatchewan, was that? Well, it's uh, St. Peter's College, which is now uh, a hot spot of uh, prairie literature. They have a lot of workshops and oh. classes there, and... I took a prairie trip across the prairie with uh, George Melnick, once a great prairie uh, historian and writer. And we dropped by, and he wanted to go in because he taught there. And I said, I, I couldn't even leave the car. Sure. I just had to sit in the car. I couldn't go in. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. So also with us today, we have uh, James Felton. Hi, James. Hello, RC. How are you? I'm excellent. Uh, now that we're getting going, and one of the reasons uh, we have uh, both of you in studio is because you're part of the Poetic Justice Reading Series, correct? Correct. Uh, tell us a bit about what that is, um, and uh, what. So we're, this is kind of like we wanted to think about what happened last year that you were highlights, and maybe what are the plans for the new year as well for the reading series and. Well, for those who are not familiar with Poetic Justice, um, it's a reading series which actually has now become one of the, the more senior reading series. Uh, we are now in our seventh year. It was originally started by Candace James, who is the uh, poet emerita of New West, and Francie Luen. And Francie really has been the driving force behind Poetic Justice all these years, but as she has so put it to me recently, five years is her limit for any new volunteer huh. project. And so last year was year six, <laughs> interestingly, <laughs> which I essentially uh, was the driving force on her behalf. Okay. And so the reins have been handed over to me, and I'm hoping to keep growing it, uh, both in terms of audience awareness and also in the caliber of reader that we are attracting. And where are you reading now? Because the venue changed a little bit, did it not? Am I correct in that? Yes. Um, venues are always tenuous when it comes to poetry readings. Um, we are on our third venue in one year, believe it or not. But so far, I've battled and hopefully succeeded at keeping it at Boston Pizza okay. in New Westminster. It's at 1045 Columbia Street. And they've been kind enough to extend our stint with them until the middle of the year at which point I will have to uh, grovel a little bit longer and uh, continue to call upon them to, to help us out. 
I've enjoyed reading at uh, Poetic Justice many times, and I've enjoyed a lot of the readers' um, presentations and readings. And one of my favorites uh, was Jennifer Zilm reading, mm. I think it was last year, and she's a very interesting poet. She's kind of a stand-up theologian yeah, <laughs> on the, on the well verge put. of a confession, and it's, it's awkward and funny and brilliant, and everything just comes out of the kind of recesses of her her mind. She's brilliant. Do you have any uh, particular, of course, they're all brilliant. Everyone's wonderful. But do you have any particular favorites from last year? That's going to really put me on the spot. Because um, <laughs> they're all listening. And if you don't mention their name. <laughs> exactly. Um, I, I will say this. I am really striving very hard to increase the quality, the caliber, and the attractiveness of our readers. And... Um, <laughs> Well, not physically necessarily, <laughs> but certainly in terms of audience appeal. And we had a grab bag of people who are anywhere from emerging poets, but talented, to venerable poets with a long, long history of publications. And you know what? The mix is beautiful because we are usually going with two featured poets per reading with an open mic format as well. And our featured poets, what I try to do there is to use certain criteria to bring people together, whether it's a male with a female, a younger with an older, a friend with a colleague whom they really, really are sweet on and respect immensely. Those are the kinds of dynamics that I'm trying to bring. And so far, it's, it's working well, rather than having two strangers who don't know each other or each other's work mm. on the same show. What is it like having it at Boston Pizza? Like, is, is there hockey games, football games going on at the same time, or do they put you away in a corner somewhere and don't don't order the lasagna? The poets are there. Exactly. Yeah, you have a sports bar in es in essence, but the beauty of Boston Pizza is that the room that we're in is private okay. and cordoned off, cool. and so we don't interfere with NFL football, and third down and five doesn't inter interfere with um, any. Blank verse. <laughs> it's transcendent. It's, oh, I think yeah. the, the poetry comes in and then suddenly you're transcended and you forget where you are. Nice. And uh, it, it's, it's a cool, cool uh, experience. I have to say it was a, a pretty pleasant experience reading there for sure. It's a nice room. And when I first heard it was Boston Pizza, I went, oh, Jesus, what the hell is that going to be like? was great. Mm. Yeah. Now, was your feature recently, Richard? Because I was looking on the website and I couldn't figure out if, it, if you had just read or were going to be reading. I uh, can't remember when that was. Three, three months, months ago? Really? We can hear you, James. Wow. <laughs> so it's three months ago? Yeah. And were you reading, from, was your book out by then? Yeah, it was. Yeah. yeah. And have you done a, a tour at all or just kind of focusing uh, locally? Or I, I did uh, Edmonton, uh, uh, Banff. Uh, um, I didn't do Calgary. I did uh, Windermere, Invermere, I mean, and uh, Vancouver here twice, yeah. And when you're setting up these uh, readings or reading tours, um, how do you organize it? Does your does your oh. publisher help? Do you yeah, the publisher just... helped for for the Alberta stuff. Oh, and okay. yeah, yeah. But uh, mostly it was just luck. I mean, I'm I'm not a very uh, uh, I shouldn't say I'm not a sociable person, but it's not my strong suit, right? So I should probably be reading more than I am. But it means getting on the phone and calling people. Tap tap those uh, unique jobs that you've worked at, yeah, and yeah. then call those those people up, and mm -hmm. you know, go to you know the, the extremes of you know this country mm -hmm. and do those readings in in unique places. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Cool. So you're listening to uh, Co-op Radio, CFRO 100.5 FM. Our show is Wax Poetic. Our guests are James Felton and Richard Tarion. And uh, Richard, let's have another poem from you. Sure. I'm going to do a new one. It's very different from the others, from, from the book. Very different. And that's why I, I'm looking forward to this. Uh, it's, uh, there's a cycle. It's part of a cycle. The cycle has four parts, and it's repeated four times. And the cycle is encant, be still, descend, attend to the event. So I'll do the first encant. And it's preceded by a little bit of a, an introduction. Reality in peril. You'd have to be a god to say something like that. Or a reasonable facsimile. Or a delusional drunk. Or a lighthouse beacon. Or flying with Zeno's arrow held fast. Time outrunning itself. You'd have to be an accomplished dreamer to say something like that. Mares in the field in the moonlight asleep on their feet. Look upon that and let the medicine course through your veins. Encant. To make it seem true. To follow the ripple. To follow the silence that follows the tale that follows it through. To stand in the shadows still as a dancer awaiting her cue. To watch from the wings to watch the musicians, to watch them grow tired, the horsehair beginning to fray, the violins too heavy to play, their instruments slipping away, the chorus too tired to sing, to make it seem through, to make it seem true, to play the unobtrusive pedestrian standing apart here on this street corner. You know how it's done. You've been here before, sniffing the air, learning the secrets of traffic flow. The timing of streetlights, counting down the seconds from yellow to red to green. To follow it through, to follow the ripple, to make it seem true. Lean on this newspaper box, here. Avoid eye contact. Calibrate the tension, just so. Bend the mirror of your gaze, just so. Raise the level of distortion, only a little, so everything will at first appear normal. Mourn openly. Shout, hurl the violins. Shout, hurl the violins into the night sky. Shout, now the dance is over is the time to dance. Then split before they call the cops. Before they let your family know. <laughs> what, a, what a poem and what a reading. Our, our listeners can't see the, um, the physicality behind the voice. It, it, you're, you're a wonderful reader. It, yeah, it feels very like soothing. It's mm. really coming out of, uh, out of your, your bones and muscles. Oh, thanks. Thanks. That's the intention, yeah. <laughs> a, lot of my, a lot of my work I compose just, you know, standing, walking around. I, it's always got to be oral with me first. Uh, yeah. And in the editing process, is that all done out loud? Back and also? forth, back and forth, yeah, yeah. I, I do a lot of rewriting, but I always test it out out loud. In fact, I even record myself and listen back to it. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I'm curious to know about the editing of, uh, and this is for the poetry nerds listening, really me. Um, <laughs> in terms of edits, when you edit a line, does that um, kind of exist only in relation to that individual poem, or do you consider the entire book that it's in 
um, when you're going through that editing yeah, process? Yeah, I mean, it's only since I published Sleeping in Tall Grass that I start thinking in terms of a whole manuscript. And to tell you the truth, it's a pain. I don't really, <laughs> I don't think it's a wise thing to do, you know. But why, why do you well, say Well, I, I, I rely a lot on instinct. And when you, you're starting to structure stuff before it actually feels complete, I think it gets in the way of that intuition, at least for me, right? Yeah. Uh, James, you've got a lot of paper in front of you. Did you bring poems <laughs> to read as well? Well, um, one of the things I see is that when people ask me, do I write poetry, the answer is no. But I actually have produced a grand total of one a year over the last two consecutive years. Excellent. So I'm just batting a thousand at the moment. But no, I'm not really a, a Did poet. you bring something to read, though? I did. Let's hear it. Let's hear that. Okay. Yeah, that'd All be right. great. I'm originally from South Africa. And as you know, it's a land that once was gripped by apartheid, the segregation of races. And this little poem is from the perspective of a 12-year-old boy who enters the local post office. Post office. Mr. I'm over here, unseen. I want to ask you something, but ignored. This post office is musty, small, divided. You're the only clerk. You work both sides, but not mine. You're talking with a grown-up. Don't know who. Can't see. The other side of the big divide must be white. I'm posting a letter to myself. Silly. But I need the postmark on my first day issues. So I wait. I wait until you've laughed and talked and laughed some more. No need to look this side. Must be black. My father bullied me polite. Yes, I'll wait. No rude boy here, sir. I'll wait. See, the wait for first day stamps is worth it. I have lots of time. I'll just wait. When you finally bark, what you want? I want to, I want to shout, I know much more than you, but I can't. I want to say, I read library books from the adult section, but I know it won't matter one blind bit to you. I want to say you're not nice, but too obedient. I'm 12 and already know, but cannot say you're so wrong. I marvel at my stamps instead. Can you? Stamp this for me, please. I like the 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 line "bullied polite." My father bullied, made me bullied polite. Mm -hmm. I can I can relate to that. Yeah. <laughs> An important topic, and uh, well, he's as much a part of this poem as the post office clerk. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it was really easy to follow. It was really easy to see the scene. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Now I'm I'm curious. I. Um, there's a lot of talk about uh, people writing in other people's voices of 
Uh, they're not. It's not their race. It's not their uh, identity and that sort of stuff. Um, how do you feel about that? Because obviously you've taken the voice of a young, I'm assuming a young uh, black boy and writing his experience in the post office. Um, how did you come to that? And what are your thoughts about that sort of stuff? Well, that uh, boy was actually me. Okay. I'm of mixed heritage. And in South Africa, that gives me the stamp of being non-white. Okay. So it was definitely from my own personal cool. well, I'm, experience. I, yeah. So, but, so then how do you feel about that, I guess, in a general context? That's good to know that. But How do you mean? In the sense of like there's, a, there's been a lot of stuff where I've read a bunch of stuff in, on blogs and poetry stuff of, of primarily white authors writing in the voices of uh, either you know, Asian or black and, and t- telling those stories when people are saying allow those people to tell those stories themselves. I think it's a challenge. It really is. But yet... We have Athol Fugard, who is a fantastic South African playwright, who wrote with what I would call a black identity and really pulled it off. So it is possible, but it's a challenge. Mm-hmm. And how is he received in South Africa? Is there a, a, some controversy, a lot of controversy? Today out? especially he is embraced. Oh. Yes. To tell you the truth, I thought he was black. I've never seen a picture of him. I thought he was black. No. Oh, I just. Oh, I'm, yeah, sure, I'm sure you're right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. It's ending there. I wasn't sure if you were thinking. I think I'm gonna I, answer. Yeah. I have one one quick question for well, James. If you won that um, that lottery, that kind of imaginary lottery, um, and you could bring uh, a poet from South Africa to Poetic Justice to read in 20, 2019. <laughs> planning ahead giving them plenty of time uh, who's a writer that you think um, Canadian audiences should know about in, in terms of poetry embarrassingly I am not up on any of the writers of today Athol Fugard has long since passed away but um, my area of expertise if you wish is in the Canadian poetry scene I've collected um, poetry books first editions since the early 80s I'm a huge poetry fan. I love the literary periodicals that have come out over the years. And my area of familiarity is on the Canadian scene. I was saying to Richard on our drive over here, this year I will have been in Canada 50 years. Oh, my. And uh, it's time to celebrate. But so <laughs> the knowledge of South Africa is very much of the 12-year-old in the poem mm. rather than an adult who has recently visited because I've never been back since mm. having left. Were you writing poetry when you were that young? No. No? I still don't. Well, once a year. <laughs> once a year. Batting a thousand. Yeah. And how many people guess that you're from South Africa from your accent? Not that many, because it has been washed out over the 50 years of living in Canada. It's somewhat sort of mid-Atlantic. <laughs> now it is, yeah. All right. So we're almost out of time, actually. So let's get another poem uh, from Richard. And maybe, Richard, just talk a little before you read the poem, talk about the book and the publisher and where people might be able to get a copy. Uh, Sleeping in Tall Grass was published last uh, spring by the University of Alberta Press. And uh, I guess you can get it online. That's, you know, or you can buy it from me. Yeah. You want one? Sure. (laughs) (laughs) Can you get them? uh, Do you have a website or anything? Uh, You know, I don't. I I don't have a website. I don't tweet. I don't uh, faceplant. 
<laughs> Unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. Applied poetics at Shaw.ca. That's where I Okay. That's where I live. All right. Let's yeah. hear another poem. This is uh, uh, the closing poem to the brother to the poem about my brother. In the center of an empty room, an upright body facing a large upright mirror. The floorboards of the shiny walnut-stained floor clearly drawn to converge on a distant point swallowed too soon by darkness. I am the upright body looking into the mirror, and I see my brother. I hear my brother asking, who are you? Every syllable and consonant pronounced with the precise tensile strength and sure pressure needed of a larynx and vocal cords ordered to contain, restrain, release what can never be said, what must be said. I look in the mirror. I see my brother. I hear him speak. My lips as static as the brilliant red wax lips we used to buy from the corner candy store. We are not twins, my brother and I. Not twins. He was born ill two years after me, and I was born ill with him. He was defiled years later, and I, across the prairie, under a different sky and three watersheds east, was defiled with him. This is not a confusion of confessions. This is not some Catholic penitent trying to sing the sonorous call of another's pain back to its subterranean birth. Not a stone struck ringing up from the bottom of a dry, dark canyon. This is blood, not the blood of brothers, thicker than that. This is blood symbolized by blood, voice symbolized by voice. This is air, air being shoved this way and that by two hearts beating, one in an empty room, the other in a mirror. Wow, there's it's so that's packed with so much emotion. The the imagery is so clear. It really takes us to this place. Uh, and then you just, I just felt I felt uh, grief and anger, and such strength, kind of moving through it all. Thank you. Thank you, Kevin. Thanks. Yeah. Can you expand a bit on the idea of blood symbolized by blood? Yeah, I suppose I could. Uh, <laughs> Will you? <laughs> he said reluctantly. <laughs> yeah, there, there, there comes a point in uh, paying attention to what is before your face uh, that goes beyond symbols and uh, beyond metaphor and beyond anything. It, it's, it's so intense that it's a, the best you can do is it's a symbol of itself, which, mm. you know, is a kind of, I don't know what the hell that means. <laughs> James, <laughs> any insight? No, he wrote the poem. You'll have to, you'll have to stay focused on him. Um, I was also curious, listening to the two poems that you wrote from the read from the book. Yeah. Um, how much are your poems uh, letters to your brother? Are you trying to communicate with your brother now that he's not around? That's really a good question. Um, uh, one of the other longer poems in here is is called "About a Mile from the Lake," and it's uh, I used to go every winter 
for a solo writer's retreat in February, March, coldest, minus 40, minus 50 below to our, our family cabin until my brother died. And I've been unable to return there since he's gone. And I was thinking about that this morning, and I think, I guess I'm still working on it, you know. He's been gone a year and a half, but I'm still sort of working on it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, give yourself some slack. It takes a while. <laughs> Well, it does. It yeah. does, yeah. yeah. It does. All right. Thank you so much for being a guest today on our show, Wax Poetic, here on Co-op Radio at CFRO 100.5 FM. Uh, time for announcements. Show is coming up. Uh, Poetic Justice, what's uh, coming up this weekend? We're monthly, and our we're month, the month, third uh, Sunday of the month. Um, in February, it'll be February 19th. Uh, once again at Boston Pizza at 11.30 in the morning. Perfect time for brunch and poetry. Uh, we have two wonderful sort of veteran poets coming. We've got Daphne Marlatt oh. along with Roy Mickey, who are going to be reading together for the first time in a few decades. Oh, wow. They used to in the 70s. Yeah, that's impressive. Two uh, legendary names. Yeah. There. Cool. cool. And Richard, are you reading anywhere near soon? <sighs> no. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and tonight at the Vancouver Public Library is the oh, first insight. insight. And that's with um, Rob Taylor, uh, who was on the show last year. We had, had him on. And um, James Rachel, Wickey. Rachel Rose. And Rachel Rose. And there's a Patricia f- Young. And Patricia Young. Yeah. That should be good. Sorry, I got other people taking a look through the window here. Uh, yeah, other events coming up uh, this Sunday at Cafe de Soleil. Uh, local youth uh, performance poet Angelica paversky has got a uh, chat book launch, and that'll be happening at the cafe uh, at uh, 7 o'clock. Also on Monday, it's the uh, Vancouver Youth Poetry Slam featuring Santiago Llorena. And uh, also coming up on next week, I'm looking at this online, it says Home and Wilderness. Three poets reading at the Vancouver Public Library. Oh, I'm getting pictures. We've got Elena Johnson uh, and other people. I can't. My glasses are going so nuts. Uh, but check it out at the Vancouver Public Library on the 24th. Uh, three poets reading there. Uh, that's all the time we've got here. Uh, I'm R.C. Weslowski. And I'm Kevin Spence. Thanks to James Felton and Richard Tarian. No Apologies Necessary is coming up next. Hey, thanks, you guys. You've been listening to Wax Poetic on Co-op Radio, CFRO 100.5 FM. So what? So what? So what?